Hello and welcome to Bright Blue Dot. My name is Thomas Jelly, and I'm delighted to be here with Dr. Emi Kyoto. Emi is an environmental gerontologist and the founder of Ibasho, an organization that co-creates community spaces for elders. Emi is passionate about changing the way we view aging and building resilient communities. Welcome, Emi. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you for your inviting me. Emi, to start off with, when did you first feel that you were contributing to more sustainable paths? Interestingly, uh, I was born and raised in Japan. So natural disasters were just part of my growing up with the normal life. We have typhoon, we had earthquake, uh, we have flood. But, you know, I just never paid attention that there was something that I could do anything about because I thought it was a given didn't really pay enough attention to my action or I actually changed this situation until we had this big earthquake happen 2011. It was earthquake and tsunami followed after that. And it had a big impact on, you know, just northern part of Japan. And I remember when I was looking at this TV, you know, screen and what was happening in Japan, I just, I was speechless. And of course, I felt that I just needed to do something. I didn't know what at that moment, and I needed to do something. So I worked with older people to create a community hub to, you know, help younger people to be aware more on natural disaster and what kind of existing knowledge among older people might be able to help for the future disaster preparedness. So we created this community hub and I was really focusing on what kind of things we can learn from older people about preparedness for the disaster in a positive way. That was probably the first time I worked on sustainability issues. That must have been a very challenging time in which to start working with local communities in northern Japan. What have you learned since then that you wish you had known at the time? Before I worked with older adults, I thought it was physical infrastructure that really fixed the problem. Just a seawall or just uh, managing the watershed and just try to create the barriers by building up some infrastructure and I I started to work with older people and after the disaster just start to prepare what we can do the biggest learning was that it's not really about the physical infrastructure that really prepare for the future it is really a behavioral change and a mindset change to develop social infrastructure that goes with the physical infrastructure change. That was very important to me. So I should have known a little bit earlier, maybe, but it was very striking to me that it's not a physical infrastructure that helps us, but it is equally important to have social capital. So you know people to share information and really change the behaviors so that we can be better prepared and we create the better planet um, for us to live. It sounds as if you must have done a lot of work gathering different sorts of stakeholders in local communities. Is that something that you could 
talk about the process of gathering stakeholders and creating community. The current way of doing a lot of things that we do, it is a little bit more siloed than integration. But when we try to do something that is good for a person, that means it touch upon architecture, it touch upon psychology, touch upon clinical issues, human beings, social beings. So our life is not one thing. Our life is not divided into different silos. To really create a community, which is a collection of people who are already quite complicated human being, and we are talking about a group of them at the time of disaster and just try to create something new. We really needed to have different stakeholders to be part of it, to really join and brainstorm together to come up with a solution together. Again, that big learning for multidisciplinary team is that it is actually not so difficult to bring people into the group, but it is quite challenging and it's a quite an art to be able to have meaningful discussion that is going to inform people to take action for the long-lasting sort of change. So yes, we needed to have that different stakeholders. And I think the timing was very important to have certain specific um, topics to come up with, to have targeted discussion. It's like a little, little Lego pieces, small little Lego piece that is slightly different colors and different shapes, but you kind of have to put it together to really create something meaningful and organic structure, but you try to make it bottom up by creating this organism with um, different stakeholders. And I think if we didn't do it, then I don't think that the kind of social infrastructure that we wanted to create would happen. You're working on challenges of social resilience of inclusion of older adults across cultures, across ways of thinking and writing, across ways of understanding challenges. Is there something that you could share about what you have learned about working on similar challenges, but across cultures? I get the questions like, how do you adapt this impartial principle into different culture? Yes, we have to adapt a lot to things for the cultural appropriate way. But at the same time, we have a sort of universal sentiment toward what we do and universal issues that we deal with. For example, social isolation is not only happening in Asia or it's not only happening in Western society. It is universal among the older person and older people feeling irrelevant. That is another universal thing. And the third one is that disaster happens, natural disaster is happening, climate change we have not fixed. So that really affects in a global level in a very different way, but it does. So those are the three things that I feel that elders all share. And those are the global issues, but the solutions are culturally different and it should be localized. So when I work with them, what we try to do is develop the social infrastructure that other people will be empowered. They are going to take action as a part of change agent. Okay, we have 
aging society, they're not going to be a burden to the economy. They are going to take a leadership, being a part of the leaders and change agents to change their own community with their localized solution. So what I've been trying to do is to bring this universal principle of what does that mean by having a community that value older person in Honolulu. It should be different from Japan. It should be different from Nepal, the way that actualize. And what I've been very mindful about is what we can bring through Ibasho is to always have older person in the driver's seat so they are, their voice is going to be heard. It's not going to be us or policymakers decide what's good for the elders. We ask directly elders what they want and what they need and just bring them in the driver's seat to really make their own decision and we will support them. I think those decision-making process, the lack of it actually, older person's decision-making being respected, that has been a big gap actually in many cultures. Honolulu, I just said the same thing. We always have to ask elders and we have to empower elders to take action. What we can do is to facilitate and support them. I wonder if, if I could pin you down for an example of a real aha moments that you have experienced. There are two you know, different times that I've, I've learned and I was pretty impressed by what elders could offer. One, I was told at the time of disaster happened in Japan, this community I worked with was very heavily impacted by the tsunami. So they didn't have electricity, they didn't have water for a few days, and they didn't have food. So older people actually took young people and brought them into the mountain to harvest mushrooms to be able to eat. And also we had this rice and we have water all over the place, but we have no electricity. Young people didn't know how to make rice. So older people were able to teach children and the younger generation to make rice without electricity. They just start the fire. Traditional knowledge actually really shined at the time of disaster when all the system went down. To me, that was like an aha moment. You know, sometimes we think about disaster relief and disaster preparedness with high-tech solutions, but all this system breakdown, you know, what's very important is older people's life experience that really shined. So that, to me, it was big learning. And also when we started to work on this Ibasho, I've learned how much older people do care about their behaviors in terms of leaving healthy planet behind to the next generations. Emmy, thank you. You've worked all over the world tackling sustainability challenges in local communities with a tremendous focus on older adults. After all you've seen and done, what are some of the questions that you are still grappling with? When I look at uh, sustainability issues and aging issues, those two are somewhat separately treated. Lots of people think those are two different subjects, but I think both requires behavioral change. I think everybody knows aging is something you can't avoid. We are all going through this process. 
yet we're just treating that as someone else's problem until you really hit the time that you have to deal with it. And I feel like it's the same as environmental issues. And I'm, I'm still thinking how we can actually draw from these people's behavior and policy support and infrastructure. I don't think we have a clear idea about how to move forward in a positive way. I feel like those two, if we take parallel kind of issues and just somehow conceptualize in the right way, I feel like there are some you know, big lessons that we could actually learn to have breakthrough, but that's something I'm still tackling. Emmy, thank you so much for sharing that with us. You've been listening to Friend of Bright Blue Dot, Dr. Emmy Kyoto. Thank you for joining us, Emmy. Thank you.